Testing one, two, three. That's my mic. Yep. Testing one, two, three. I think there were less ums. It probably slowed my brain down the way that I was thinking. <laughs> that's okay. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Anesthesia Coffee Break. I'm Lahiru. And I'm Stan. And today we're going to go through episode eight, functional residual capacity. So this is a 2005 July question, question number 16. And the question is literally explain the changes on functional residual capacity or FRC that take place with the administration of anesthesia. But before we go into that question, La, um, what's your performance tip for their trainees? As you mentioned in the last podcast, are we literally going to go through a hundred different performance tips? And I, th- I think the answer is yes, but we're going to break <laughs> things down. So like, the last time I gave a performance tip was all about active recall. That's the way you enhance your memory. I thought I'd go into that to say that one method of doing really, really rigorous active recall is to teach. So any time you teach, it is to relearn. And I found one of the best ways is to practice active recall is to teach something you've just learned to someone else. So this could be an SAQ you've just done and maybe you've figured out a particular way of structuring it, teach it. Maybe your mate doesn't understand it as well as you do, teach it. Maybe you've had a viva from someone. Why not just give that viva again, pass it on, pay it forward. Um, And if there's something you don't understand well, get someone else to teach you that and then pass it on and teach it to someone else. So to teach is to relearn. And that is a really great example of active recall, but it also creates extra neuronal connections in your brain, hopefully make you even better. That's a really good point, La. And one of the things that I find that is a common denominator with trainees that pass is that they teach. And one of the things that I've actually seen in the last couple of years is the increase of the amount of online resources. What you'll often see is people will often produce websites in terms of their model SAQs. They've got MCQs, which they've produced answers for. I actually think this is a fantastic way to actually learn. It's really important for us to engage in this process of teaching others. I don't know how, I don't know how easy, and I'm, I'm actually trying to think about this thing in terms of whether there's a way that we can create an exercise for trainees to actually create like their own little book of part one knowledge. And a lot of people naturally end up doing that. Correct. And they often do very well in the exam. That's right. It's spot on. Well, so. I, I mean, I think that's what we're trying to create here. Like, you know, we've talked about this a lot that we love educating and you know, education is such an important part of everything. And we have a lot of platforms that already exist. Our website, anesthesiacollective.com is starting out small, but it's a great place that we, if you, if you have anything you want to put up there as a teaching resource, we can use that. Or the ABCs of Anesthesia YouTube channel. If, you, if there's something that you think you teach really well, hey, we've got all the recording here, come along and we can help you put it up there. You know, our ethos is really to promote this free education and also the charitable use of any any resources that we have as well. And as you said, it's the best best way to learn. So Stan, what do you reckon about this pass rate? 48% for a question that I thought would be very standard, FRC. So when I see a pass rate like that, it just means that the examiner has been very strict in terms of what they want from this. And when you get an easy question like this, it's very easy to go into a lot of depth, mm-hmm. but not address the breadth. Yes. And I think for this question, what they probably wanted is also breadth yep. as well. A lot of candidates would probably just discuss about FRC, but not really address the actual changes with anesthesia. And I think apportioning the time in terms of talking about the importance of FRC and also what happens with anesthesia you, you actually need to distribute it probably evenly, okay? And I can see how candidates would just talk about the importance of FRC, but really, really ignore the bit about um, the, the changes with um, anesthesia. So the key thing is actually integrate both of them together. 
La, how, how would you tackle this question? Yeah, so like everything, structure, structure and structure. And yep, some knowledge, absolutely. So let's start with the definition. So, you know, often the physiology structure is a definition, normal values, maybe how would you measure it even, you chuck in there, and then a categorized answer addressing exactly what you said, the part of the question that mattered, which is explaining the changes and how they maybe are worse in anesthesia and also maybe their functions as well. And the definition is the fact that there's actually a trifold definition here. It's 30 mils per kilogram or the residual volume plus the expiratory reserve volume or the balance point between the chest recalling outwards and the lung recalling inwards. And I love the fact that there's three definitions. I remember the first time someone told me those three definitions, I just thought, man, that, that person's really smart. So just an easy way to feel good about yourself and hopefully get some extra marks. And I, think that's, of- yeah, and I think that's really good. If, if you can go into an exam understanding the different definitions of a concept, it really holds you in good stead because you can come in and talk about one definition, but to have a really whole answer, you can say, but it's also known as this and this and this. And if you can do it quickly and efficiently, it's, it'll be very, very impressive to the examiner. Absolutely. And then you can go into, again, very briefly, just say, how do you measure this? And this is through a couple of methods, the helium dilution method, um, which is just an extrapolation of the conservation of mass, and then the body plethysmography method, which is the double application of Boyle's law. And we can go through that in another, in another podcast as well. Uh, but just remember, you cannot calculate FRC with simple spirometry. It, it doesn't work. You just cannot calculate that residual volume value without one of these other two methods. So, okay. So what happens in anesthesia then? Yeah, so I'm thinking that this is where I'd use that framework of anesthesia, patient, and surgical factors. Again, you can choose specific frameworks for, for specific types of questions, and I think this works really well. So briefly mentioning, there's a weak correlation of de- you know, decrease in FRC with age, as well as the fact that the patient's supine post-induction. Sometimes there's a decreased cross-sectional area of the rib cage. There's decreased end expiratory return with or without muscle paralysis. There's also movement of blood into and out of the thorax as well. If you think of anesthesia, you can make a hypothetical scenario. the fact that you're using 100% oxygen, so you've got loss of the nitrogen splinting. That's That's an important part of anesthesia. And the fact that anesthesia can be general, or regional local anesthesia. So maybe this FRC reduction is minimized with local and regional anesthesia. Again, often with anesthesia, we use positive end expiratory pressure or PEEP, and this can maintain FRC. But again, the larger the PEEP, you may have a reduction in cardiac output. So practically speaking, you might want to mention the um, problems of decreased cardiac output with very large degrees of PEEP. And, and what are the problems of a reduced cardiac output? Stepping it through, increased PEEP will increase intrathoracic pressure. This will decrease the venous return. And these problems of decreased cardiac output really are the problems of decreased end organ perfusion. Mm. And, you know, would I go into that in this question? Probably not necessarily, but, you know, making note of that, mentioning that, absolutely useful. Yeah. And, and I think, as you mentioned, you know, with increasing PEEP and increasing intrathoracic pressure, you actually create zone, start creating zone one. Absolutely. And yeah. when you start creating zone one, um, it's what? Dead space. Yeah. Synony- yeah, synonymous with alveolar dead space. Spot on. And that's why if you actually look at nuns, the introduction of PEEP doesn't actually improve your oxygenation as much as you would presume in, in fit, healthy patients. Mm-hmm. So in patients with abnormal pathology where they've got lung collapse, yes, PEEP certainly is beneficial. But I think, you know, for the average person, you know, I think a little bit of PEEP is good, but I think excessive PEEP actually doesn't actually um, improve things that much more. Mm. So what I like about this question is when you do this framework, 
Definitely when you're thinking about anesthesia, you can visualize all these things that are happening. So imagine as a mnemonic aid, you imagine the patient having anesthesia. They're supine, you're giving 100% oxygen, using general or regional, you've got the ventilator settings. There's a lot of ways you can imagine this and visualize to enhance your knowledge and recall. But then you can imagine the surgery as well. Imagine it's a lap procedure. So pneumoperitoneum decreases FRC. Maybe it's a steep head down position of like a radical prostatectomy. Maybe it's abdominal surgery. Maybe you've got retractors in there. All these things you can imagine and easily recall. And you don't really need knowledge. You just need a really good imagination. So with patient factors, what, what would you have under that? Once, I, once I've done anesthesia and surgical factors, I can just imagine a patient with bad FRC or decreased FRC. These are obese patients, any patient who's pregnant, uh, any restrictive lung disease, any circumferential burns. But again, you can let your imagination go to imagine what it would be like and mention a few things that are relevant. And with the other surgical factors, things like one lung ventilation, thoracic surgery, or do you think that's, that's too, much, um, too much detail? And also like the lateral position. The good thing is the examiners aren't too fussed about that. Yeah. I think they mention position generally. Yep. So supine posture, that's, that's a common one. But it doesn't take a second to go. Thoracic operations, different positions, lateral, etc. Yep. yep. What about the time course? Yeah, so really after induction, you can get anywhere from a 15 to 20% loss in FRC straight away. So that could be you know, anywhere from you know, 400 to 500 mils straight after induction. But this reaches the final value in the first few hours. But interestingly, this doesn't actually return to normal until hours into recovery. And this is a big deal. So imagine all those patients you have who might need supplementary oxygen afterwards. They haven't, they're, you know, they're not anesthetized anymore. They're awake, but still their FRC might be decreased. They're still recovering. And they'll need supplemental oxygen into the ward because they might have some semblance of shunt. And we'll go through this in a second. But yeah, you know, you've got closing capacity, atelectasis due to these decreased FRC. Mm. And that will decrease your PaO2, requiring you to get supplemental oxygen. Mm. And with regards to the atelectasis, I think you sort of mentioned uh, there are different types of atelectasis. So you mentioned sort of using 100% oxygen, you get absorption atelectasis. Mm. Um, you also get um, compression atelectasis. So different types which can actually cause the reduction in FRC. With regards to uh, the question, what would you say that we also need to give more information on? This question doesn't specifically ask about the functions of FRC necessarily, but I think I'd still give that as a bundle of knowledge. I think it's a very safe thing to do and it's very related to the topic of FRC. So this is one of those things where you, you can try to remember a lot of things increased atelectasis with an FRC decrease. Sometimes closing capacity will be greater than FRC, so suddenly during a normal tidal volume, you will have shunt caused just by that. So you have increased shunt as well. You can have increased VQ mismatch, decreased compliance of your lung mechanics. Uh, Having decreased FRC means there's less oxygen store and also then less oxygen buffer. And then you can have increased pulmonary vascular resistance, increased airways resistance, and increased work of breathing if the patient's spot venting. Correct. I, I really like that. And I think with the um, idea that FR, that a decrease in FRC causes all these things, it actually helps create a really solid answer in terms of it's able to both tie in both the uh, concepts as well as the implications of that. And the way that I would summarize it is, you know, it in, a decrease in FRC increases work of breathing and that already encompasses what you talked about in terms of reducing compliance and increasing airways resistance. So you actually don't need to mention that. It increases worker breathing, it increases venous admixture, and that both 
encompasses both the increase in shunt you mentioned as well as the, uh, any increases in VQ mismatch, increases in pulmonary vascular resistance, and decreases in your oxygen store. Lovely. So, so th- those four things would actually encompass everything. And I think that's one of the things is that as you get a, as you get a greater understanding of physiology, you're actually able to simplify your answers. Because as you go through and work through the concepts, what happens is that absolutely people, and I see it with candidates all the time, you know, when they talk about FRC, they start talking about compliance, resistance, and implications of worker breathing. All you, all you really need to say is it increases worker breathing. And then as an examiner, if I wanted to explore that idea more, I would go to you, okay, so how does it increase worker breathing? And you would talk about the reduction in compliance and the increase in airways of resistance. Perfect. Yep. Actually, one of the other things that commonly you'll get asked, especially when you're starting out anesthesia, you get the question of, you know, you're pre-oxygenating a patient. How long do you have as an apneic time? Um, do you have a good model for that, Stan? So th- there's, a, there's a simple answer. Yep. And then there's also the mathematical answer. Let's give the simple and the mathematical answer. Okay. So the, the simple answer is how much is FRC? FRC is, you know, 30 mils per kilo. Yep. And in a 70 kilogram man, that's about 2.1 liters, agree? Yes. And assuming that, you know, you've got an FiO2 of one, mm-hmm. you would say that's about two liters of mm-hmm. oxygen. Mm-hmm. And assuming that your oxygen consumption is 250 mils per minute in a 70 kilogram mm-hmm. uh, patient, that would equate to about, you know, eight minutes yes. of safe apnea time. In an ideal situation. Correct, correct. Now, the more complex mathematical answer is that that FRC doesn't actually hold a true FiO2 of one. Exactly. Because if you actually look at the alveolar gas equation, mm. it probably comes down to what, you know, 0.17. So, mm. I'm sorry, not 0.17. So, beg your pardon. So, about sort of uh, 0.8. Yes, 80% of your total volume. Yeah, correct. Yep. Because um, you remember, you also got to account for the idea that CO2 is actually um, there as well. And that and that actually reduces the, mm. um, the concentration of... Uh, mm. Absolutely. Of oxygen that's there, okay. Yes, and so you've actually got you've actually got less you've actually got less oxygen there. And then the second thing is that you're not going to be able to utilize that whole amount of oxygen till it's zero. In other in other words, you know we always got to think about in equilibrium. And the the point that we start worrying about is the presence of hypoxemia. So mm-hmm. hypoxemia is represented by a you know a PaO two of sixty millimeters of mercury. Mm-hmm. So remember, you're not you're not going from you know a a PA a PaO two alveolar O two of you know, well, let's say uh, 680 mm-hmm. all the way down to zero. You actually go from 680 down to 60 millimeters of mercury. So remember that it's, it's a gradient. So, it, yes. so in actual fact, if you actually, if you actually do the calculations um, and I, sh- I should do a calculation somewhere else, it's probably a bit too complex to do it on a podcast, but we can certainly do it on a YouTube video. Absolutely. Let's do that. Um, <laughs> what you'll see is that your safe happening time is actually a little bit less. Yeah. Okay. It's probably, it's probably around seven, seven odd minutes. Yeah. No, yeah. That's good. So thanks a lot for listening. I think that's all we have for episode eight, FRC. Again, if you enjoy this podcast, please like and share. And if you have any questions at all, if you want any particular topics covered, any particular exam questions covered, please email us at lahiruandstan at gmail.com. Thanks very much for listening. See you guys later.